to the Thunder Six Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider. Part three of Draft Lottery Eve. I recorded some undrafted prospects and some players to look at in the second round in the last two episodes. Now we are working our way up into the lottery major jump from 34 to 12. So I'm going to be talking about the 12th pick. If the Thunder are going to be able to trade this pick and what a package would look like for that uh, that pick to move up, obviously. And if they don't, just some prospects that they could look towards to be that piece next to whoever they select at number two. And to round things out, guys, I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. So you do not want to miss out on that. Like I said, though, guys, last two episodes down the hatch. I'm going to be recording a lot of draft content as we roll into the 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time NBA Draft. OKC, only team with two lottery picks, unless there is a crazy deal that goes through before the draft commences. Right now, though, they probably have the best uh, lump sum of assets, I guess you could call it. I want to discuss, though, this 12th pick because I think... When you're looking at the Thunder, number two is not going to get moved, right? Like, they're picking Chet, Jabari, one of the four, I'd say. But in particular, right, Chet, Jabari, or Paolo, right? So, there's not not many questions. It seems like a straight shot. Now, there could be a crazy blindside by the Thunder, but there's four set prospects. And if it's Shade and Sharp, my goodness, man. I, I wouldn't know about that. I don't know how that would go down. But anyways, it seems like there's four prospects. Probably three or just Chet. Chet seems like the consensus. Number 12, it doesn't seem like there's a consensus. And really, after like the first tier in these drafts, there's never a clear-cut consensus. If you look at mock drafts, you'll see the same names for the team. But the likelihood of you know, these foregone conclusions in the lottery in the mid-rounds, they never pan out. I think, you know, when you look back on some of these Thunder drafts, you would see routinely, I think, guards sometimes pegged. I know whenever they took, I think, Steven Adams, DeLon Wright was in that draft class or something, and there were a lot of people saying DeLon Wright was the pick. Did it make sense? Probably not, but... There's always kind of that like that crowd mindset, and you'll find that in picks. But with 12, there's a lot of different options. They can trade. They can take a prospect. They could take a prospect that might not be in consideration for 12 right now. But that's the beauty of it. So I want to give the breakdown on this number 12 pick and where I think the Thunder are going to go with it and some of the prospects to evaluate there. I think this is probably the biggest card because there's so many different routes but the big one is obviously trading the pick. Like, they have the best future draft outlook, and it's not even close. They have 19 first-round picks until 2027. They just acquired another pick through that Jamichael Green trade, and it's a top-five protection. That's ridiculous value for trading out of this draft when they already have three very valuable picks. Every single one of these classes, though, 2022 through 27, they have multiple first-round picks at hand. There's a lot of protections. If they don't convey, they move on. But 
Regardless, you're talking about 19 first-round picks. And because of all these assets, simply put, and this is just simple math, like they can't carry all these picks. You know, they have to make some sort of splash in a trade, a sign-in trade, in a draft day deal, and it could come in this draft class. I know last year, everyone thought it was going to happen. Guys like Evan Mobley, Jalen Green at the top of the board, would you be able to sneak up from 6-2 to two with 6-4 to four even with the Toronto Raptors maybe? But it didn't happen. I think it's harder than people think to trade up in draft classes, but this is a very interesting situation because the Thunder already have a very good asset at pick number 12 so they compare this pickup with additional assets to try and move up and get into you know this mid lottery almost and the way that i'm viewing this i think that the most realistic trade is probably them sneaking into that seven eight nine spot maybe but the way that you know they would go about it is probably the idea that they think there is one in particular person, 5 through 12, that's just way better than the rest. And they want to get their guy. That's how this trade-up would work because they'd be spewing out assets, obviously. But, um, you know, you're going to have to pay a steep price to move up in drafts. If you were to try to start out with picks 30 and 34 as your base, I don't think a trade would be done. You need to have at-hand value, and they have that this go-round. That's what makes things different if they're trying to move up, you know, three, four picks, 12 to eight compared to six to two, because it's a, it's a gigantic difference. And obviously big boards are going to look different in this range than they would maybe at the very top of a board. I wanted to go through some of the potential teams to look at though. I have three etched in stone right here. Might even be some other ones as we get more rumors coming in into draft night. We're starting out with the biggest stone, and that's the Sacramento Kings at pick number four. You know exactly what teams want when they're calling Sacramento. They want the they want the rights to Jaden Ivey. Let's call it how it is. Because this is a draft that has kind of been called a three-person draft. I think it's more of a four-person draft. I'm really high on Ivy's scoring ability, and if he's able to work on his deceleration, and in particular the mid-range pull-up, I think he's a three-level scorer that's going to be very difficult to guard moving forward. That has crazy value, and that's a perfect sidekick to play next to maybe one of your better playmakers on a roster. OKC has been in the mix for this pick in the rumor mill for probably a week and we're starting to see it from more reliable sources, more consistently. We're also seeing a ton of teams are showing interest in this Kings pick. And ultimately what this comes down to is if the Thunder are genuinely interested and they want to throw out assets, they can be the highest bidder. But they're only a highest bidder based on situation and based on what Sacramento actually thinks in that war room. Sacramento has, I think it's a 16-year playoff drought. That's ridiculous. And they had hopes of last year making the plan and sneaking in that way. It didn't work out. They lucked out in the draft lottery, and they're back here. They are unpredictable, basically, because a lot of times the Kings are actually chalked up as a very predictable draft 
a drafting team. And it's because of how they selected Marvin Bagley over Luka Doncic. That was solely off of fit, and it was the biggest miss that we've seen in a very long time. They've kind of changed their ways, though. You look, you know, a couple seasons prior, what they're doing, they take a guard in Tyrese Halliburton when they already had De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald last draft cycle. You had all three of those guys still on roster. And what did they do? They took Davion Mitchell, who didn't even work out with them. So they, they have been going best player available. I'd say the last two drafts, the best player available undoubtedly is Jaden Ivey if he's the guy which he's presumed to be the one to fall out of the top three would you take him again and try to make things work they've done it in the past that's why they have Sabonis on the roster they could just take that pick but I think they're more likely to try and trade or at least explore a trade that would benefit them in particular in a playoff push because they have De'Aaron they have DeMontis Sabonis and they have some supporting pieces such as Harrison Barnes and Davion Mitchell the Oklahoma City Thunder do not necessarily have the win now pieces I would say that would propel them I think the win now guys were like Jeremy Grant actually and he's gone he got traded away for a 2025 first so the value obviously wasn't as high but Maybe an OG and an OB type player, the Rockets or the Raptors, excuse me, could try making a trade. For the Thunder, their best in house trade ship is Lou Dort, which he could slide up to the three. Maybe you do some gymnastics, move Barnes up to the four. They have a lot of different guys in this front court. I think it will get cleared up in free agency. But Dort would have to be that centerpiece almost. And even though he's a very good player, and I think he'd improve that roster positionally I don't know how exactly it would all work so I think the more likely scenario would actually be trying to trade up to seven or eight with the Pelicans or the Trailblazers and then you tack on multiple first round picks so it would have to be a multi-team trade I think to make it better suited for the Sacramento Kings but you can throw out a player such as Lou Dort pick 12 and a couple extra picks that's a risky play I think with the Kings, though, and in particular with Jaden Ivey, it doesn't matter which team this is, Jaden Ivey has that elite factor in him as a scorer that I think it would warrant a godfather package, and I wouldn't be upset with it. I think Dort is a hell of a player when you break it down, and this isn't a way a GM breaks this down, but pick 12 was basically a luxury pick. It shouldn't have been pick 12. It should have been pick probably 16. But because the Clippers spiraled out of control, because there were so many different injuries, they lucked into this spot. Use this as just a freebie, almost, in a deal. I wouldn't go as far to say, look at Lou Dort as an undrafted player. I think that's ridiculous. But, I mean, this would be a very good return to get a guy such as Jaden Ivey here. So, the price is going to be steep. And it's going to be a definite bidding war when the Kings are on the clock. But it's just first-round pick after first-round pick. That's the chip that no one else in this league is able to compete with. You can try making a Paul George type trade, and the Kings would take it. I would, I'd say for the Kings' sake, take it. If, the, if these teams are throwing out pick after pick of their own, and you don't think they have a, a healthy future, yeah, why not make that type of deal? But the Thunder have access to like, you know, a fifth of the league 
with these first round picks and some of them are not protected very heavily so they have valued pieces and they have Lou Dort and they have 12 that's the the first one and I think that's obviously the most lucrative because of the superstar ceiling that you'd find in a guy like Jaden Ivey and how he'd pair with your backcourt and SGA and Josh Giddy. I want to talk about some other trade-up options in the lottery. First, though, I want to let you all know about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Over here, we have a very good deal. NBA Finals action is over, but you got the NHL rolling right in. You got the Stanley Cup and a DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. They have an unbelievable offer for the most exciting playoffs in sports. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what, win or lose. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the playoffs? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets, like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more. It's your shot at an even bigger payout. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NHL team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. She's show notes for details. Over here, you know, this is just the gambling side of me, of course. You could flip five bucks into a hundred and then throw some money down on a, a sneaky number two prospect. No, Sam Presti is. Maybe they take Ivy at two. You're cashing out with a lot of money. I wouldn't do that. I think they're going to go chalk in terms of who they're picking at two, but. It's interesting with a team like the Oklahoma City Thunder, and it's interesting with what they could do with the trade-ups as well. Talked about the Sacramento Kings. I want to go into some other options that could include Lou Dort. Might not, depending on what the offer would end up being. You go to the Portland Trailblazers at pick number seven, though, and I think there's a big drop-off in terms of what the actual return is is for the Thunder. I think Jaden Ivey is a clear-cut four. I've actually had him ranked in my top three on my big board, and it's because I think his potential is just sky high. I love his athletic ability. That obviously carries, and he has a three-level scoring potential in him that you just don't find in many draft cycles. That is what you know, yields a very productive player for your team. At seven, I think the likely prospect would be Shaden Sharp. There could be a, a, a curveball, obviously, but everything is indicated through these mocks and through these, you know, updates we've heard from guys like Jonathan Javoni that it'd be for Jaden Ivey or Shaden Sharp. And Sharp has been with the Thunder for, you know, workout. Seems like it's a mutual interest. Be a slam dunk to bring him on, but it's going to take a price. I don't think you take him at pick number 12. I think someone snatches him before that. And for the Trailblazers, they just made a trade. Not only did they have Lillard, Anthony Simons, and Yusuf Nurkic, but now they've solidified a forward spot with Jeremy Grant. So it becomes 
are they shifting fully into the playoff side, which it, it looks that way. And if that's the case, what do they want? And what can the Thunder do to actually, you know, connect the dots on that trade? And the obvious pick would be Lou Dort and putting him at the three. I don't know how the Blazers would like that because if you have Lillard and Simons, who are not tall point guards or guards in general, and then a 6'4 Lou Dort, that's a clear height discrepancy. Do you want to do that? Even though Dort's a hell of a defender, maybe the Blazers would like somebody else. I know OG Ananobi's been the main name floating around. If they could get him from the Raptors, I think you'd go ahead and do that just because of how good of a fit that would be, and you really do get that starting five solidified. If not, though, they have to kind of look at some other options, and the Thunder could do that with what they have, with Lou Dort and 12. I've seen Dort and 12 as that baseline, not even a baseline, but just like the projected offer to move up to eight, or to seven, excuse me. Me personally, I don't think it's worth that risk. I think that Shaden Sharp and Jaden Ivey have two different price levels. Ivey's is much higher because of his play and because of his consistency. I think with Shaden, there are so many question marks. You already know Lou Dort is a guaranteed long-term contributor. You can decline his option right now and pick him up in restricted free agency. And you have the 12th pick, who could be a very good prospect. Moving up four selections, or five selections, to take Sharp lose out on Dort and whoever that prospect would be, that is a very high-risk play. And if Presti does it, I think you can live with it because that is how sold he is on Shade and Sharp. But in terms of value, this is a risky, risky move. And I think the only reason you do it is because you believe the fit with Sharp alongside SGA and Giddy is superior to that of what Dort does. Because Dort is not the ball handler type. He's not really on ball, you know, killing you with step backs or anything. He can, but he's more of a catch-and-shoot cog that is, like, low maintenance. Shannon Sharp's kind of the opposite, and he's a freak athlete. So it's all about potential with him. Uh, And I think that's what seven would ultimately be. Ideally, you don't want to trade Dort in this deal. You want to pile up pick after pick. The one issue is I think the Trailblazers are at the spot now where, you know, they could be just looking to take a win now guy or shoot for the stars with this selection. We'll see how it breaks. I feel like Dyson Daniels would be a cool player to bring on with them. Kind of the Josh Giddy type player where you could try sneaking him in. I know he's a primary point guard, but play him at the two or three, see if he works out, and that'd be beautiful. But I think the Trailblazers are, are an option you need to monitor. And the last one would end up being the New Orleans Pelicans at pick number eight. And with the Pelicans, they also have this freebie type pick where they almost lucked into it. This came as part of the Anthony Davis trade where, you know, you just see unprotected picks galore, basically. And for the Lakers, you know, you see injury after injury basically just spiraled to end the season. And New Orleans gets the eighth pick out of it. And they've built themselves up pretty well from that AD deal. They have Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson together. They just got CJ McCollum from the Blazers. Jonas Valanciunas if they re-sign him. And you have Devontae Graham at the point guard spot. And even off the bench, you have Jose Alvarado, Herb Jones. There's plenty of options. 
So they could go and try to trade this pick for a Lou Dort type player, which might make sense. Maybe they, they want another enforcer next to Herb. That'd be monstrous for the league. But they could also just say, hey, we have a very young core already. Let's just make it better. Let's get Shaden Sharp. Let's get Uzman Jang, who apparently had a very good pre-draft workout with the Pelicans. And he's 6'10". So that is a, a good prospect you'd want to be messing with. That's um that's where we're at. I think in terms of cracking that code, moving from 8 to 12 for the Pels... I think for them, if they believe their guy would still be available at 12, maybe it's a Jalen Williams, a more high floor type player than a, a ceiling guy. You could try doing that and pluck out maybe an additional first round pick or two in that process. I don't think Lou Dort would be on the table for eight. And honestly, I don't think it would be for seven unless the chain reaction results in the number four pick going to Bricktown. That's just my take on it. I want to get into some of the prospects at number 12, though, because it's going to be a lengthy list with this one. There were so many prospects I could have covered here. I really wanted to hone in on who I think would be available as opposed to who might slide. Johnny Davis, Malachi Branham, those were two that I I almost included just because I think they could dip down. Another player is Ben Matherin. I think he's kind of locked to go high, though. Same goes with Dyson Daniels. Anyways, kind of have these guys as the luxury prospects almost because the Thunder picked him up off that Clippers trade. Very, very nice situation for them to be here, and they're going to be able to pad up their core any way they'd like. High ceiling, high floor, you're in the lottery, so it's a good, good look there. Starting this out, though, I want to talk about Usman Jang. Out of the NBL, averaged 8.9 points, 3.2 boards, and 1.1 assists. 6'10", 7'1", wingspan with him. It's basically all potential. Abysmal start with news, uh, with the Breakers to begin the season. He really ramped it up to close the year, shooting around like 36% from distance, 12 points per game, I believe it was. Just firing on all cylinders. And with him, you see the archetype of a very special player because of the build and because of how he's able to handle the basketball. Not just that, even some of the passes he was making were pretty damn advanced. He's able to loft passes over guards and bigs. And I think you could use that in a pick and roll setting really to its highest ability. And you can even survey the floor for cross-court dimes. I always remember... Uh, this play of Teo with you know his his pro tape before joining the Thunder, just gunning these cross court passes. This is the kind of stuff Jang was doing as well, and with proper floor spacing and good shooters surrounding the roster, I think you could start seeing those cross cross court passes a lot more frequently. Usman is able to kind of cash in on those. Self creation was a plus for him, where he was getting space off his dribble moves. But the consistency has to be key, and I think the success was you know, kind of segmented over the season. On defense, this is where you look at him highly yet again. 6'10", 7'1", need I say more, man. <laughs> you know, he was guarding more 1 through 3 than he was like 3 through 5, which is very interesting given his build, of course. But, you know, he's not he's not a big guy. This is a very lean 6'10 we're talking here 
but he's able to sky up for some blocks. So, I mean, he has the highlight reel really on both sides of the ball. I think on defense, he did kind of get caught up a little bit on footwork where, you know, he's shifting his feet a little bit too constantly. You talk about mirroring your defender. That is a big plus where you're matching him kind of, you know, hip to hip or what, whatever you'd like to call it there. With Usman, he's a little bit hyperactive in terms of footwork, and that can lead to him getting burnt on some occasions. So you don't want to see that, uh, but that's just one of the improvement areas. I think this is more the home run hit for the Thunder. And for where their positional needs lie, they actually do need a small forward. So I get why he's been mocked to the Thunder basically everywhere. I don't even know if he's going to stay till 12. If the Pels rumors end up being true, I know San Antonio might like him. If you start seeing both of the centers go before Charlotte, like it could go crazy. And Uzme might not even be in the picture, but I could also see the Thunder looking at him, you know, 18-year-old, didn't play crazy well at the NBL level, level, and saying, you know, if we're looking at pivot and we're looking to, you know, bring in these winning guys, like, steadily start pushing now, they could go for more of the the high-floor prospect that might not have the craziest ceiling, but it's still a pretty, pretty good one in the lottery. So that's the first guy I wanted to mention. A.J. Griffin out of Duke is another. Same position. Four inches shorter at six foot six, average ten points, one point one rebounds, and shot forty eight point three percent from downtown. So you already know what this profile is about. It's his shooting. He is a classified sharp shooter. Impressive shooting form in the catch and shoot department. That's where he's going to live and die. And he's even worked a little bit in the mid range game too. This is the off ball utility that could really help out the Thunder really comes down to self-creation and actual injuries because he does have a pretty bad medical record. I think he's had two season-enders in high school, actually, where you know he just wasn't able to finish out the season. He knew his role at Duke. You have Paulo, Mark Williams, just so many different players. Even in the second round, guys like Trevor Keels are going to be selected. But um, yeah, he was elite in the catch-and-shoot role. He shot 48.3%, like I said on those, 155 tries there. So you have the good sample size you're asking for. Put him in the uh, wings or corners for the Thunder. That's perfect. You're not playing him at the top of the key because that's where you're going to have your high ball screen, ideally. So pin him in the corner. You're going to have someone latched onto him that would help out spacing tremendously. I think the questions become how many more methods of scoring are there for Griffin? Can he put the ball on the deck and score? Can he drive to the basket himself? Right now, I think he's more of just the clean-cut shooter. But if he's able to develop the pull-up and then he can work off of that, then you have a a talented player that could be more than just a solid starter on your roster. On defense, it's another thing with him where he matched up fairly well. 7-foot wingspan with a 6-foot-6 build. Able to take a good amount of contact when people are slashing at him. I think that clearing the medicals is obviously the big one. Because if you are not sold on it and you think that, you know, yet again, like, he would be injured or injury-prone in the future, that's a clear problem for number 12. 
And in terms of ceiling, maybe he doesn't reach that. Also, I don't know if his ceiling is necessarily the highest. I think he's a, a good player who could be a very dominant off-the-catch guy. But, you know, right now, I think at 12, there might be maybe some higher ceilings. He's definitely a higher floor player. And for what the Thunder want, he might be the highest out of what you could find right here. Perfect, perfect piece. And um, at 18 years old, I think he can really kind of settle in that role because he is very young going into the draft process. Jalen Duran is even younger. I think his birthday is in October or November, which is crazy. Average 12 points, 8 rebounds, and 2.1 blocks with the Memphis Tigers. He's an up-tempo lob threat. Teams like that kind of prospect. And maybe some might say he entered the draft maybe 5-10 years too late. Guys like DeAndre Jordan, those lob threats just living on the highlight reel. Maybe when the three ball wasn't as so heavily used, right? Where you had your centers in the paint going for dunks. Now you're looking to space the floor out more. But you still have a very effective role man in Jalen Duran. And if you lop to pass over the defender, he'll grab it, immediately go up, and get you a bucket right under the basket. Same goes for those alley-oop plays as well. Crazy stock as an interior finisher. Might be the best as a center in this draft class. Rim protection is the main thing for the defensive ability. Hyperactive athlete. It works on both sides of the basketball where he's able to get standstill rejections. Also some chase down blocks too, which you don't find from every you know, traditional center. And he's not playing four. He's playing five at the NBA level. He still needs to work on off-ball defense, I'd say. Maybe some on boxing out. But you have a very good hustle player that is going to ramp up your production in the fast break. Most definitely. I think that he's a hot name to watch in the lottery. I don't really know where to pin him in a mock draft, to be honest with you. But there should be some eyes at him starting in this mid lottery on paper I think he's really good with SGA and Josh Giddy. now if Chet Holmgren is the pick at number two does that change the dynamics here I think in some cases yes if Chet is going to be your five I don't think you go for two centers if you think he's playing the four maybe the one upside to that pairing is that Jalen Duran is a very good lob threat and a hell of an athlete, and Chet can space the floor. But I think you were taking Chet. You want to have the five to space the floor. Probably don't want Duran. So I think it's kind of contingent on two. Maybe they want to have a certified sharpshooter as their center, and Duran is not that. He hasn't been a good shooter at the collegiate level. But if you're looking for a beast down low, he definitely could be that, and you know he'd bring some... Some really good plays to the pace that OKC has been carrying on. Mark Williams is another center out of Duke where, you know, he's not this crazy athlete, but he's pretty sound fundamentally. He averaged 11.2 points, 7.4 boards, and 2.8 blocks. ACC Defensive Player of the Year. Seven feet tall with a 7'7 seven seven wingspan. Great rim protector, needless to say. And he's still a lob threat as well. 
I wouldn't really call him a very good like slasher, maybe like on the deck. I don't think he's really doing any dribble moves. Might be point A to point B if he's wide open, but this is more of like a you know, set a screen, roll the rim, and that's about it. Not much on-ball action with him. He's still very, very solid. And really good interior game. I think the big swing factor is his shot, which everyone seems to be pretty high on. Um, he didn't get to spread his wings from three with Duke, like, whatsoever. Krzyzewski did not want him taking threes, mid-ranges. But he did shoot in the 70s from the foul line this year. And it looks like he did fairly well in the combine, too, when it came to um, knocking down some shots. So when you're looking at him, you're looking at a very good rim protector who doesn't foul very often, a very good rebounder, a great interior piece. It just comes down to how far can you expand him as a prospect? Can he shoot? If he can be a shooter, then, you know, he probably would be a solid lottery grade. A lot of times you do see um, centers in the lottery for one reason or another, maybe not live up to expectations because it's hard to be living up to, you know, those lottery goals. But Mark Williams, for sure, with that jump shot would be a pretty good prospect to find at 12. And for the Thunder, I think yet again, it's one of those things where does he work with Chet if that's the pick? If it's Paulo, well, I think that you might consider it if Paulo's playing the four for you. Um, but it's always just a game of, of options. I think with the Thunder, I'd rather stay away from drafting a center in this draft class if it's not Chet or Paulo, if you want to deem him one. Maybe in the second round you shoot for one. But at 12, I'm not really feeling the fit on either of these two prospects. They might be pretty good. It just comes down to the fact that OKC's spacing is so, it's it's good in the sense they're running five out, but they don't have enough consistent pieces. I think putting a center in there would force him to go to the short corner maybe, or we'd see a lot more drop, drop coverages like what happened last year. Next up is my favorite player in this draft class, actually, and he's not projected to go 12. I've seen him going 16 to the Hawks numerous times here, but I think he could go in the lottery easy, 10 through 12. It's Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara, averaged 18 points, 4.4 boards, and 4.2 assists. Went from being an elite role player to just the elite player on their roster this year. And he did a great job managing the offense. Not only is Williams a player who can get you a bucket just in a one-on-one situation, but when you're talking the playmaking ability, this was a natural point guard shot up to 6'5 with a 7'2 wingspan, and he's still operating like he's a point guard. In the pick and roll, great navigator where he's able to find his big man, even finding players outside, and you need to be a good pick and roll distributor. Off the ball, looks like a lethal catch and shoot option. And on ball, like I said, He's able to get some shots off himself. He has a pretty tight handle on it. He can step back, shoot it. So I'm a big fan of that. And then even when it comes to backdoor cuts, he has a very good understanding of when and when not to go, what weak side defense would look like, kind of reading potential switches. That's all big time for me. And defensively, I also like him as a prospect. 6'5 and 7'2 wingspan. Are you kidding me, man? This guy 
has the perfect, perfect build for a defensive wing. And he has good lateral quickness as well, allowing him to kind of keep those smaller guards under wraps, uh, but also being able to close out on some of those triples when they decide to go for like a step back, for example. So I think he's the perfect two-way player in this draft class. And for Oklahoma City, I think he's perfect. It's all about finding that number four at the guard spot. It's a lot more fun drafting guards, I'd say. With a three-point game just going crazy, you love to see people just hitting step back after step back. Eventually, the Thunder need to settle, and they they need one more player, I think, before you get there. Jalen Williams is a great option because not only can he be that number four at the two, but he can also slide up to the three. There's been other guys like Aaron Wiggins who have made valiant shots at being the backup guard, and they very well could be a good one. But when you're looking for a big-time contributor for the long term, Jalen Williams is one for me where I'm really sold on his game on both sides of the basketball. And with SGA and Josh Giddey, they are primary playmakers, tertiary off-ball shooters. You know, with Williams, he is probably a secondary playmaker, off-ball shooting, you could say that's his number one. So it's a very good match. And even when someone else needs to run the offense, Williams is able to do it. I think that makes it even better in terms of options because you can't forget about Trey Mann and how he's able to impact the game himself. So that's the perfect number four for me. I think Williams in his draft stock could be shooting up on some big boards. Jeremy Sohan out of Baylor. He has been also everywhere in this mock draft season, 9.2 points, 6.4 boards, and 1.3 steals to his name. Big 12 six man of the year, 6'9", 230 pounds. You've heard of Sohan. I mean, I think most pods were talking about him heavily during this draft process. Even I was. Joe Musato did a great job covering his pre-draft process with the Thunder. Said it went pretty well, and... Sounds like he could either be the clear guy or just the smoke screen because his play mirrors kind of a thunder player. Offensively, good finisher around the basket. Scoring range, can't make much of it. Shot in the 50% range at the line and from three, he really wasn't consistent whatsoever and he just didn't shoot a lot anyways defensively is where you find all of his value as just someone who can guard multiple different positions has lateral quickness kind of making him that swiss army knife on screens and then he's also a very good rebounder which would keep him in late game situations obviously though you need to make him at least an average three-point shooter and he doesn't even need to be an on-ball threat i think not everybody needs to be the on-ball guy You know, that's why G League players that drop 26 points per game don't end up making it in the NBA or they don't get the contract. It's because their job is, in all likelihood, not going to be an on-ball one. Sohan is not the on-ball guy, but if he's a decent catch-and-shoot player and his defense translates the way it should, he's a good player uh, to bring into this Thunder roster. For me personally, I think that his fit is great but it's contingent on that shot. If he's not a shooter and he's a really good defender, it kind of puts you in a situation where, once again, you're just doing wacky stuff in the rotation. What happens with Bays and Poku and 
JRE. It's just a ripple effect that uh, is very brutal that you kind of have to sort through there. Sohan's a hell of a defender, though, and that's what he has going for himself there. Last man on the list, another player that might go in the 20s. I think this might be the biggest reach that I have on this board here. And if someone's mad, I don't have Johnny Davis here. Trust me, I understand it. But it's Jaden Hardy out of the G League Ignite. Average 17.7 points, 4.6 boards, and 3.2 assists. I think everyone's been looking at Ivy and Sharp as the Thunder guard options. Jalen Williams, he worked out with a team. I think he's one that they'd be considering a lot. Even though he's 21, I think he still warrants a hard look. And Jaden Hardy definitely does too. If you know he was pulling the sharp route where he didn't play for a year, he probably would be looked at higher than maybe a prospect in the 20s. That's where he is now. But I think that his potential could see him go up higher on big boards, and I don't know where the Thunder would have him. I know they worked him out, uh, but it, it does make an interesting case for who that number four guard would be if you just aren't fond of the front court options available at this pick. 19 years old, former five-star, right behind Chet in the ESPN rankings. Had really good spurts with the Ignite, but just could not tie it together in efficiency. You would see his highlight reel and be pretty high on him. Now, me personally, I'm not the biggest fan of his actual movement. I think when I look at guards, I'm looking at those very shifty type of shot creators. Maybe like the the Jalen Greens, the Bones Highlands. With Hardy... He's quick, but he's not an elite level quickness. How does that translate into one-on-one situations? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think it's as smooth as a guy like Ivy. Obviously not. But he does have a good step back. And I'd say he might have a better bag than Sharp in that category. Sharp is just a much better athlete. So Hardy is a primary scorer. You're bringing him on to be the microwave guy, kind of that secondary option on your unit, which the Thunder might not even want. But if they do, and they do want that scoring punch, he makes sense. You're getting him to be the offensive plug as kind of your second fiddle next to SGA and Giddy, and even with Trey Mann, see if they can coexist as well. Defensively, that's where he has to make some strides. You're basically banking on him fulfilling the number two ranking he got as a high schooler. And he has shown against grown men that he could live up to that level. But he just wasn't able to make enough shots to kind of warrant any sort of, you know, top 10 consideration like where he was projected. That's going to round things up, though, for the number 12 talk, guys. Really appreciate you guys listening to this one. If you have not. Make sure to listen to the last two talking about the draft picks. Make sure to check out my draft guide over at si.com slash thunder. 12,000 words, 25 plus draft profiles. I got it all over there. Make sure to give it a read. That's going to do it for today's episode, though. Thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time.